three key messages as a summary. One is that it's amazing the health system in Ukraine is standing. But number two, it's still fragile, so continued support is very important. And number three, we need collective action now. Hello and very warm welcome to Erectus Health Podcast, where every week we dive into EU health policy and bring you the latest health news from Europe. This week, our reporter Clara is talking with Regional Director of WHO Europe, Hans Kluge. In the interview, they talk about Ukrainians' healthcare system reconstruction, touching upon the physical and mental health needs of the refugees and limited access to sexual and reproductive rights for Ukrainian women in Poland. Dr. Hans Kluger, and thank you very much for being with me today on the Euroactive Health Podcast. You are the regional director of the World Health Organization, the WHO for Europe, and you attended on Monday and Tuesday the first healthcare forum in Vasovo in Poland, where you took part in a panel about the healthy reconstruction of Ukraine alongside the Polish and Ukrainian ministers of health. The panel focused on the work that has been done to meet the health needs of Ukrainians, both inside and outside the country. We will focus on how Poland has responded to the 1.5 million refugees with temporary protection solution. So maybe you could start by giving us a global picture of the situation more than a year after the work in Ukraine started. What are the health needs of the Ukrainian refugees and also, what has been done so far to meet their needs? Thank you very much for having me on the program. Indeed, since the start of this devastating war, every three to four months, I go myself to Ukraine, to Kiev, to the front line with the Minister of Health, Dr. Viktor Lashko. But we're also very active in all surrounding countries, from big countries like Poland, Hungary, to Moldova, which very generously have been welcoming up to 7 million Ukraine refugees. And I'm really astonished how people literally open their hearts, their homes for our Ukraine friends. I have been to all those countries. And there has been particularly attention, speaking from health, to ensure uninterrupted treatment, which, for example, in the case of tuberculosis and HIV, was so important because Ukraine is in tuberculosis a high burden country. There's also an issue of HIV. And if I take the example of Poland, because the healthcare reform was taking place there, Poland has been taking very quick action to allow the same type of medicines to continue in Poland, which originally were not registered there. In Moldova, then, I saw, for example, Ukrainian people laying side by side in dialysis centers. So what happened is that the Ukrainian refugees were being incorporated into the national healthcare systems based on universal health coverage. And that's something really amazing. We also have to realize that the majority of the Ukrainian refugees, and I always see this myself, are women, children, the elderly, and of course they have particular health needs. An example that I was very impressed about, which was mentioned by the Minister of Health, Adam Nidzilski, yesterday, is how Poland 
has been fast-tracking accreditation and licenses for about 7,000 Ukraine doctors and nurses. And this is really a win-win because the whole of the European region, every single country is facing a crisis of the health workforce. We see strikes, we see migration. So, on one hand, this tremendous capacity of highly educated people from Ukraine is not being wasted if they leave their country. And for countries, it's also a very big win situation. So, I really would like to encourage all countries to follow this example from Poland. Now, if you're looking forward, what are some of the big ones still is, of course, mental health. I mean, in every crisis, mental health is a big issue. We're working on that one in Ukraine under the patronage of the First Lady, Madame Olena Zelenska. Last time I was there, we launched a big mental health program, trying to scale up mobile teams, psychological first aid. I mean, if people ask me how many people have been impacted by mental health, I mean, everyone, everyone is impacted. So as you just said, we've seen a huge uh, solidarity uh, in terms of healthcare, of providing healthcare access uh, to the refugees. But what's, what still needs to be done? I think what needs to be done is not to allow any fatigue to support the Ukraine people, be it inside Ukraine or in the refugee hosting countries. Actually, it's a very good uh, day to talk about this because today is World Refugee Day. So I'm very happy, actually, that we have this uh, uh, interview today. You know what? In, in Poland, for example, colleagues were mentioning that the 1.5 million people from Ukraine represents an increase of 5% of the population. So all health systems in our European region are facing enormous pressure. There is an aging of the population. People demand much more. They know much more about their disease and the uh, innovative treatments available. So in that sense, of course, it's a strain. It's a financial strain. It's a strain on the few workforce in the countries. So that is something that has to be very, very well planned for. This continuous integration of the needs of the Ukraine refugees into the national health systems because we don't know, unfortunately, how long this war is going to last. I pray every day for peace, but what I see now is definitely not any signs of de-escalation. So we need to stand together with the Ukraine people as long as it takes. And number one and number two, rehabilitation. This is very important. That was what the Prime Minister Schmihal asked me last time I was in Kiev and also Minister Lashko, Minister of Health. There's so many people who lost limbs, including children. I went myself to rehabilitation centers in uh, Ukraine. And of course, if there are very complicated needs, the EU countries, Moldova, are accepting patients from Ukraine to provide sophisticated treatment. If it's for children, it needs special prosthesis. So when the child is growing, the prosthesis also is adapted. So this need for more sophisticated support for rehabilitation and prosthesis is still a gap to be filled. Okay, and do you think there is uh, enough support uh, from EU member states and maybe from uh, countries that have more sophisticated uh, hospitals like France or Germany? Because uh, sometimes, uh, for example, as you just mentioned, in Moldova, uh, it can be not as sophisticated as more uh, wealthier EU countries. So do you think those countries that don't have a common uh, frontier with Ukraine, um, they also do enough uh, on their side? 
First of all, because you mentioned Moldova, again, I must say that I was very impressed, no? Also in Moldova, that whatever Moldova has is being shared to the maximum of their potential. So it means also the EU should support not only Ukraine, but uh, Moldova, because Moldova does not necessarily benefit from the EU support mechanisms like EU countries. But coming back to your question, yeah, I, I really want to thank all donor countries, not at least the European Union, which is really stepping forward. But the key issue here is again to continue this, not to allow any fatigue to happen and to support as long as it takes. And the key issue here, each time I go to Ukraine, I'm so amazed that this health system is still standing. The WHO, as of today, has verified 1006 attacks on healthcare, which is a very clear breach of international humanitarian law. But still, this health system is standing, but it's very fragile. So budget support is very important. EU, Canada, US, UK to support salaries of the healthcare workers inside Ukraine. Actually, what we're seeing now is that less patients are being transferred outside Ukraine to EU countries because the Ukrainian health system wants to take care of it itself. So I think that... What will be important is the EU to support the Ukraine health system recovery. And that's what we discussed in, uh, in Poznan, in, in Poland. And it's going to be discussed today and tomorrow at the recovery conference in, uh, in London. That we strengthen the capacity inside Ukraine. For example, in Jotomir, it's a regional medical center on vertebrology and rehabilitation. We're supporting that center as WHO to become a center of excellence on rehabilitation. So I think that the focus has to shift a bit to strengthening the health services and specialized treatment inside the country. Okay, so in a way, uh, that's a good news that you are telling us because despite uh, the hospitals that have been destroyed, uh, despite all the needs uh, for refugees in terms of medical access uh, and despite maybe the workforce that that sometimes uh, had to leave the country for safety reasons, uh, the Ukrainian healthcare system is still standing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. Again, the caveat is fragile. So we have to continue the budget support because if you don't pay the salaries anymore, then uh, it's, it's over. A priority for WHO and also for the international community is to support the resilience of the healthcare workers. Because we should remember that before the war, they were working day and night, these doctors and nurses, on the COVID-19, on the vaccination for the polio outbreaks. So they didn't have a day of rest. Each time I go there, last time I went to the front line, Dnipro and beyond, I met surgeons in the hospital receiving every night the most traumatized soldiers, and several of them have not gone home since the 24th of February last year. Can you imagine? I mean, I stand in admiration for the doctors, the nurses, the paramedics of Ukraine. But every human being has a breaking point. So we need to work on the mental and physical health of the healthcare workers themselves. And I really want to comment here the inspirational leadership by the leader, the Minister of Health, Dr. Viktor Lashko. If you are enjoying listening to your Active's Health podcast, a friendly reminder that you can subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every Wednesday, the same weekday as our podcast. We will make sure to keep you up to date with the main EU health news. And don't forget to check other Euroactive podcasts such as AgriFood Brief, Tech Brief and Beyond the Byline. You can listen to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. 
usually when we speak about access to healthcare uh, in the time of war, and, we, and we've mentioned it a bit before, uh, we think about the physical injuries, but um, as we said before, there are also some mental health issues. Um, is it a priority as well for the WHO uh, to help Ukrainian people on the mental health side? It is a top priority. Last time I was in Ukraine, both Prime Minister, Minister of Health, the First Lady, Madame Olenzlenska, asked two things. The first was support to double our support on mental health and second on rehabilitation. So we launched, when I was last time in Kiev with the First Lady, the mental health program, which is championing. And that's very important because mental health is not only an issue of the healthcare sector. It has to do with the employment, social services, the Ministry of Veterans. And that is very important to decentralize, to, to move away from institutionalized support, to uh, keep people for a very long time in the sanatorium, in the hospitals, towards a community-based uh, center. I will never forget what the first lady told me, said Dr. Kluge, every single of our persons in Ukraine should be a psychologist, meaning every person has to find coping mechanisms to deal with the stress, which can go to very severe forms of psychosis or people who have been uh, raped or sexually abused to anxiety, depression, uncertainty about the future. So we as WHO are taking this into top priority and we have a lot of support from the European Commission. I want to commend in particular here to Commissioner Stella Kirakidis and the DG Sandra Galina who are supporting us. But it's never enough mental health, and I'm still convinced that we only see the tip of the iceberg. Some media uh, reported that uh, Ukrainian women uh, in Poland could not have access to abortion due to the Polish uh, law. So if we speak of sexual and reproductive rights uh, in, U- in Poland, sorry, for Ukrainian women, uh, what's, your, what's your take on this? Should uh, national law go beyond uh, go beyond the, 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 the government because we are in, a, in an exceptional situation of war? And what, how, how can these women uh, can be helped uh, even though they are in a country like Poland? So first and foremost, I would like to recall that several times publicly, I called upon all refugee receiving countries to provide access to, indeed, essential sexual and reproductive health care as a fundamental human right. This is what WHO promotes, health for all, and there is no compromise. Now, in uh, Poland, 1.5 million refugees integrated into the national healthcare system, and they are getting the same benefits as Polish citizens. For example, if we speak about sexual reproductive health services, every pregnant woman has the right to a number of free antenatal examinations, free childbirth, entitled to the free pop test, etc. But in the, here particularly, I want to acknowledge the civil society, non-governmental organizations, who have been really working tirelessly to respond to the uh, needs of the women refugees on sexual reproductive health, for example, in accessing safe abortion emergency contraception services, and to assist them in overcoming access barriers, including providing the hotline which I discussed very openly uh, with the colleagues of the uh, Polish uh, Ministry of Health. Another great progress is that WHO country office in Poland 
with the Polish counterparts now in six pilot regions is implementing the WHO guidelines on clinical management to provide high quality healthcare for survivors of violence. And we know very well that the two most common forms of violence against women are intimate partner violence and non-partner sexual violence. So this is a top priority. Okay, and so as you said, you had this discussion with the uh, uh, the representative of the uh, Polish health ministers. This is something you, you've talked about. Absolutely, and not only in Poland, be it in Poland, in Hungary, Romania, Slovakia, all, all the refugee countries. We recently had a meeting in Bratislava, Slovakia, with all the seven refugee receiving countries, and this was one of the discussion points. I mean, WHO standard is uh, very clear, of course. Health system, as you know, is a national competency, but again, time and again, particularly in these uh, uh, times where we see huge uh, uh, flows of uh, refugees, both Dr. Tedros, WHO Director General, and myself keep calling for access to essential, time-sensitive, sexual and reproductive healthcare as a fundamental human right without any stigma and discrimination. And for example, what was the answer of the Polish government? Very open-minded. I mean, uh, because there were also recently, um, this was very much, as you say, into the media. So I think it's a great step forward that we are working together to operationalize the WHO guidance on clinical management to provide high-quality uh, high care for survivors of violence, to work in partnership with the civil society, uh, providing the hotline, and we will continue to work on this and make progress. Do you have anything else uh, to add? Uh, three key messages. As a summary, one is that it's amazing the health system in Ukraine is standing. But number two, it's still fragile, so continued support is very important. And number three, we need collective action now. So this is not over on the country. We hope and pray for the best, but have to prepare for the worst. And again, whether we speak about Poland, the European Commission, Moldova, other countries have been really stepping up, but this is going to be not a sprint, but a marathon. So we have to prepare ourselves also psychologically for the long haul. That is all from us today. Thank you for listening. We also want to hear from you. So if you have something to say, don't hesitate to drop us a line. Our email address is podcast at youractive.com or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. This episode was brought to you thanks to our multimedia team, so special thanks to them. Until next Wednesday and stay healthy.